it is painful to me uh, to watch, um, you know, uh, that right to work state uh, not pay um, its most valuable um, individuals, uh, you know, what they are worth. Hi, this is David Goodfriend, and you're listening to the Goodfriend Group podcast. President Harry Truman used to say, if you want a friend in Washington, get a dog. But in this case, if you want a good friend in Washington, you've come to the right place. I talk to people from technology, telecommunications, and media. These are my good friends, and now they're here to talk to you. On this week's episode of the Good Friend Group podcast, part two of my interview with Minyan Clyburn, former chairwoman and commissioner at the FCC. We'll talk about South Carolina, politics, and a lot more. I want to go back to something you said earlier about the connectivity of the inmate population. Yes. You are a a longtime champion of ensuring to the best we can affordable connectivity for people who are in prison so that they can talk to their families and frankly, so that we can try to give them a shot at a better life once they get out, which is supposed to be part of the goal here. I was thinking about you because my older son volunteered in the prison education program Mm -hmm. where he, when he was going to college. Uh, So here he was as a, a tutor helping people who are uh, in prison to get college degrees. That is a form of connectivity. It's helping them. Right. It's giving them education. It's, it's uh, treating them as a human beings so that when they get out, they can become productive members of society. But y- you ran into so much resistance from the companies that actually provide the telecommunication service in prisons. Is there a way to, to, to essentially do an end run around that with, uh, with wireless phones, with some of the uh, video conferencing technologies that have come to the fore recently, is there a way to make sure that we can actually uh, help people who are incarcerated today uh, get out and become productive citizens through connectivity while they're in? So the answer is yes. N- now, look, I will be the first one to tell you that you're going to have to set up certain security protocols. Uh, you know, um, 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 there are a host of those people who are currently incarcerated, who are, are um, if given the tools, if given the opportunities, can be pr- productive. Um, there are others in there, and, and, and this is sort of the good must suffer for the bad syndrome here. There are others in there who um, are, are not as well-meaning. So from a security standpoint, I will affirm to you and, and, and will admit here that we have to set up certain um, uh, you know, barriers uh, for any harm to be done. For the majority of individuals who just want to say hello, who want to keep in touch with their loved ones, who for that, especially that last year of their sentence, who need to um, prepare themselves for the outside world. There's some people um, who were, um, some people almost, the almost lifers who've been in about 20 or 30 years that get out they haven't seen a cell phone. They don't even know what a computer, you know, there are a lot, it, depending mm-hmm. on where you do your um, time. And so the answer is yes. But the biggest problem is 
every time you come up with a layer of opportunities, because there's some people who are, who, who do have um, very few, but a growing number of um, facilities uh, that are allowing for, um, you know, computer and other learning and reading, guess what? Every minute they're on that computer, um, they're getting charged for it. So the thing is, every time you turn around and layer on something that you and and it might seem organic for you and me, you know, um, you know, when um, when we had a notebook or, you know, you had, you know, had an ebook or, or whatever, they're getting charged every minute they're on for that. So now you're talking about increasing uh, literacy and the like. You're charging that um, that family or, or, or that um, inmate every minute they're on. The, the thing is, how do you get the profit motive out of that? And, and what I say that I don't mean not making a profit. I make I mean making um, a, a exorbitant uh, profits off the of, of the back of mostly. Uh, uh, economically disadvantaged uh, people. There is no accident why there are two hedge funds that own the two largest inmate uh, calling services that account for 70% uh, of of the business. Uh, There's no question about that. Why? Because the profits are just sinful. Because there's no competition, no real competition, there's no incentive to bring those costs down. And so that is the biggest sin um, when we talk ab- about this that, that needs to be addressed. Uh, but there are too few people who care about those um, loved ones. And so it's no question why 75% of, of, of those who are uh, incarcerated within five years, they go back in because they go back home as strangers. Their families are even more economically disadvantaged. Uh, when they get back home, what they weren't making, you minus 40% off of that because they have to check that box. I, I don't care if they say they don't have to check the box. There's a box to be checked whether it's real or, or not. Um, and so that person is not going to make as much money as they did before they went in. And so you've got you that mean to say that they've to say that they've been they've been incarcerated. They have to check that box. on Either they have to check that box or you absolutely know that that person has a you know, they're no secret. Right. Um, and, right. and so right. um, that's 40 percent on average, that's 40 percent off of, um, you know, that person's potential um, income before they went in. So, again, economically disadvantaged, paying these high rates, you know, um, you know, the, the mom and, and, and the wife and everybody supporting everybody on on less than half the salary because chances are he was the breadwinner. Chances are it was a he that it's a he that we're speaking of, even though increasingly right. women are going in. And so when you have that, it just compounds all of that. And if you go home as, as a stranger, you're not going to adjust. There are going to be, you know, tensions. Something is going to happen. And like I said, within, um, within five years, 75% of you, uh, you know, of, of, um, 75% of those formerly incarcerated get back in. There's no, it's not rocket science. Um, there's a lack no. of adjustment that we help perpetuate because there is not an economical uh, way for uh, means for them to stay in touch, um, to get educated, um, to improve themselves. Uh, but once again, Mignon, I, in your passion and your knowledge on this issue, I'm reminded of the same themes that we're hearing right now in the middle of this COVID-19 crisis, where people have pointed out how profit motive and, and lack of competition 
has made this problem worse than it has to be. And I'm yes, thinking right. about the, the small company uh, that was prepared to make low-cost ventilators mm. for the government mm. in 2012 and then was bought by a larger company that had a bigger, more expensive kind of ventilator and stopped the production line. That's profit motive run amok. And you're describing prison telephony as profit motive run amok. What, what does this tell us? I mean, obviously, we Democrats are, are uh, coalescing around a candidate. Soon we'll, we'll have a nominee. But we've had a big debate over uh, whether in some places, including healthcare, and I guess also in telecommunications, is the profit motive uh, always the best way of getting the best results for society? Or do we need to try a different way? And I'm, I'm not talking about uh, um, some sort of massive revolution, but I do think we got to be asking ourselves in a crisis like this, is there a better way to get things to, to American people when they, when they need them most? I think a lot of it has to start where the need is, um, where the, what the crisis has uh, just revealed to us. Healthcare, it's a problem. Uh, Fee-for-service, that's a problem. Uh, you know, when these, when I talked about those comorbidities or these underlying, um, you know, issues uh, that poverty exasperates, you know, all of these things, these are problems that are all that you can point to the profit motive. If you pay people uh, less than what they're worth uh, for doing the jobs that will allow um, uh, for, you know, these big corporations, you know, to, to, to satisfy everybody except the person on on the on the lower um, economic or um, uh, or uh, tier, uh, you, you know those who I, I think you know the person cleaning up your room uh, should be making fifteen bucks, you know, a plus an hour. That is not a glamorous job, right. um, and that person has to go home. And so what what I'm saying is all of these things. When it comes to access to healthcare, when it comes to educational opportunities, when it comes to wages, all of these things, there's there's not rocket science as to why you have right. a permanent underclass. It's not rocket science as to if you do not invest in educational opportunities um, in, in in these communities um, where uh, you know there are um, are apparently is glaringly a lack of economic opportunities that is going to be a self-fulfilling pro uh, you know, uh, prophecy in terms of generation after generation of those who cannot escape. Um, you know, uh, this, uh, you know, uh, this, they're stuck on the, um, the low economic floor. Uh, it, 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 you don't need a PhD. I don't have one. And I can see it glaringly. Um, there's a lack no. of adjustment that we help perpetuate because there is not an economical uh, way for uh, means for them to stay in touch, um, to get educated, um, to improve themselves. Uh, now you, you are speaking in, in many ways from personal experience in the sense that you grew up in South Carolina very, very different state from where I grew up. I grew up in Wisconsin, some similarities, but I, I don't, I think there are, there are such profound differences. South Carolina to me was, was a great big mystery <laughs> until I went there for the first time. And, and I visited, you know, um, I visited and I saw 
just an incredible meshing of cultures and histories. Um, You know, everything from the Revolutionary War to the Civil War to uh, the experience of slaves to the the impact of West African culture that was kept alive for so long. uh, It was just it was mind blowing to me. And recently, all of us uh, in the Democratic Party watched in awe as South Carolina turned the course of history. Politically. Mm -hmm. South Carolina Mm -hmm. politically revived the fortunes of Vice President Joe Biden. Um, So so now I'm wondering, looking at that and looking at your rich background in that state, you were a a state official there. You were in the uh, state government there. Now I'm wondering, what can you tell us? is is the prophecy of South Carolina? What's the message that comes out of that? And what is South Carolina telling the whole country? It's a tale of that? two states, you know. From from so when you look at that, um, it just shows you um, the influence, the grit, um, you know that that, that South Carolina, uh, you know, politically, uh, you know, a, a few weeks ago. Um, I mean, it it just uh, it felt. And, and, and amplify the pulse, um, you know, you know, of this nation, of, of that, uh, of the party, um, you know, uh, of a certain campaign. Um, it, it, it really did. And it showed you the power of one voice, one person, um, somebody I, I've known for 58 years. Um, and, and so, um, <laughs> you, you know, from that perspective, it just affirms South Carolina's value. Um, and I wish I could say we're, we're just Democrat, you know, it, it happened for, um, you know, Barack Obama. Uh, it gave a, a few Republicans, yes. uh, you know, a, a, another a, a buoy to a, a few, uh, you know, Republicans also. So it's a very significant state. It was the first in the South primary, as you know. And it, um, so from that point of view, that's the best of South Carolina. The reason why I say tale of two states is that a lot of things that I voiced earlier about um, being one of the states um, that uh, uh, turned back that money that didn't, you know, you know, in terms of Medicaid, um, one of the states um, yep. that is ranked uh, for a reason, uh, whatever, uh, 47 to 48, whatever the number is in terms of education. Um, it is uh, when it comes to the diabetes belt, the, the, the high blood pressure belt, the amputation belt, uh, South Carolina um, is going to be, um, you know, ranked high in those negatives. So I say, you know, on, on the one hand, uh, my state has proven uh, its value over and over again in terms of its influence, uh, in terms of the strength of, of the people, of their um, uh, policymakers and lawmakers, and, you know, elected officials. On the other hand, um, it is painful to me uh, to watch, um, you know, uh, that right to work state uh, not pay um, its most valuable um, individuals uh, you know, what they are worth, um, to not uh, put the right. types of money into preventative care, uh, to not offer uh, the types of, um, you know, opportunities in all communities that it is doing in um, some um, very urban and, and high uh, net worth communities. So, uh, you know, so I have to, I can't, I can't, um, you know, praise it without um, affirming uh, that there's a lot of work uh, that we need to do if if we indeed believe that all of our citizens um, uh, are afforded or, or are worthy of a chance uh, uh, to be the best that they can be. 
you've got to educate them. You've got to, you know, pay them. You've got to uh, help them take care of themselves. No one in South Carolina, very few people in South Carolina are asking for a handout. They're asking for an opportunity to fish for themselves, to heal themselves, to be a part of their uh, future. And most Americans are like that too. Um, I, I just know um, the, the proud people in, in, in my state a little better uh, than I know the other uh, 49 um, and, um, you know, some of the um, other, uh, I hate to use the word territories, but, you know, um, uh, what we refer to as, um, you know, uh, territorial uh, possessions. And um, I, I uh, yeah. uh, they are in need and have been asking for years uh, for uh, inclusive opportunities. And I can't say here with a straight face or with a straight voice, since your uh, listeners can't see me, uh, that they're getting that um, in the, to the degree in which they are deserving. I love it. And listen, for those of us who love you, we'll be with you 100% you. the whole way. You've always been a, a hero of mine. And uh, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say you've, you've done your country proud. And I'm sure you've got a lot more left in you to give. So Minyan Clyburn, thank you for joining me, David, good friend on the Good Friend Group podcast. And we'll it talk again real soon. You've been listening to the Good Friend Group podcast. Special thanks to my colleagues, Brian Hess and Megan Sun. Please subscribe to the Good Friend Group podcast and share with family and friends. I'm David Goodfriend. See you next time. Thanks.